Greetings, everyone. It is now time for Marked Safe, tales of your very favorite and most beloved man-made disasters. On Marked Safe, we discuss events and details that some may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Please listen responsibly. And now, here with your hosts, Brianne and Melanie, this is Marked Safe. Melanie? No. <laughs> it's the audio guy. It is. It's our first boy guest star. Mm-hmm. We caught him after a 16-hour shift, and he's also going to turn 32 while we're recording. Yay. Yay! <laughs> Look alive, audio guy. He's been at work for 16 hours, and he somehow still has glitter in his mustache. I always have glitter in my mustache. Hashtag girl dad. So... We are going to discuss a story tonight that is near and dear to your 16-hour shift, but we will get to that. First, what are we going to get to? Would you rather? Would you rather? And by the way, for anybody listening and wondering, this is expected to be our last guest star episode. We're going out with a bang with the audio guy, and then we will have our beloved Melanie back next week. I don't know if you actually have a bang in you. (laughs) I have something left. Probably not a bang. Probably not. So we're going to start with some would you rathers. You know the drill. Get you used to being controversial and ridiculous on Mike. Are you ready? Yep. Would you rather have the life of a cat or a beaver? Oh, wow. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) What's the life expectancy of a beaver? Well, I guess I can Google it for you. 10 to 15 years, but they can live 20 years in captivity. Captivity. <laughs> I'll I'll be a cat. I, I I think beavers live short, dangerous lives in the cold, cold, terrible, shitty waters. Why are they cold? All the waters are pretty fucking cold to me. Wow. Cats never have to get wet. That's your whole thing. You don't want to build a dam and be industrious. No. You don't want to swim. No, I want to lay. You don't want to sleep on your back like a cutie pie. Listen. Okay. I've worked 16 hours being industrious, and I want to be a cat now. (laughs) Laying in the sun. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. Would you rather be trapped together in the jungle or in a haunted house? Together? You and I. Oh. (laughs) You have to really tell me who I'm being trapped with in that scenario. It's me. The jungle or a haunted house? Does it change your answer? Maybe. Okay. Well, answer answer that first. Haunted house. Yeah. Yeah. See, I'm torn on that. I see your point because there's there's like actual threats in the jungle, but it's theoretically not real in a haunted house. I mean, I was expecting the haunted house to be really haunted. Oh, for some reason I was thinking a Halloween haunted house. No. What a dipshit. Oh no, it is really haunted. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of questions about that though. There's a lot of haunted covers a lot. Okay, but jungles have tarantulas they have teetsy flies they have yeah those really big centipede or millipede right. centipede millipede things okay, i'm with you i'm with you bird eating spiders no <laughs> i'll take the ghosts okay last one for you and i think i probably already know the answer would you rather your significant other be a zombie or an alien uh an alien 
Okay, see, that would be foolishness if you didn't say an alien. Why? Well, because a zombie is rotting. It's falling apart. It's yucky. It could be an alien in perfect working order. It could have smooth, supple skin and a lot to offer. <laughs> and, I mean, presumably, if you're in a relationship with it, it must. This this is getting x-rated. <laughs> Pretty I look, quick. I looked up dirty, would you rather question? This isn't it. Oh. No, this isn't it at all. You were just like, <laughs> I was nah. like, maybe we should make this the after dark version because we're husband and wife. We are. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and I was like, maybe we should, maybe we should theme this or something, but it didn't go that way. <laughs> okay. Are you ready to hear a story? Yeah. Okay. You kind of know some spoilers on this. I will say at the very beginning that I got practically every bit of this from a book with a name that I don't intend to name because they really just put it all out there in the title. But I got almost all of this from that, okay. and it will obviously be in the show notes. But I just wanted to um, give credit to this book by someone whose name is John Fox John. Too many Johns. John Fox John. John Fox John. I wanted to make sure I credit John Fox John at the top of it for his incredibly thorough reporting on this story. We are taking a complete turn out of traditional disasters and all the way on to... True Crime Boulevard, just fully for this one. <laughs> I th I feel like this is the first that's just a straight true crime we've done, isn't it? Can you think of another one? The Tylenol Murders. <gasps> yeah, Tylenol Murders. That was true. Ooh, good job. Man, I mean, I listened that. to all of your stuff. Do you even know? Yes. <laughs> you haven't listened to the last one because I edited it. That's true. Yeah, so now you don't even know what I'm doing. Are we even husband and wife? I mean, I don't know. You didn't pick the dirty would you rather, so maybe not. <laughs> I'll ask you those later. So I'm going to tell you a story about somebody named Kim, and she is quite a lady. Kim was born in November of 1973 in a rural area north of Lufkin, Texas. Did I look up how to say Lufkin? No. But how many ways can there be? It's probably Lufkin or something, and some Texan's going to yell at me. Lufkin. <laughs> No, it's L-U-F-K-I-N. Surely it's Lufkin. I feel like I I could have I could have done a little more diligence on double checking. It's Texas. It's, it's Lufkin. Texas. It's rural Texas. There's a lot. Yeah, of if it's rural Texas, it's Lufkin. Many things described it as piney. The adjective piney came up more than once in our friend John Fox John's book. Piney Lufkin. Piney Lufkin. Kim's parents were blue collar. Dad worked for a truck center. Mom worked at Walmart. They loved to gamble and go to church. Not. Probably at the same time. John Fox John really sums up Kim's work ethic when he writes, From the time Kimberly Fowler entered school, people said she didn't work as hard as the other students. Oh, yeah. Hell. Here we go. Yeah. It sounds like she was probably the team project group member from hell. Basically, she was in a bunch of extracurriculars throughout her adolescence and high school years. She sucked at all of them. She barely tried. She dropped out all the time. People talked about her like she was a loser ghost, including the line, she was there, but in ways she wasn't. She was an underachiever. The book takes pains to note in multiple places that she had bad acne. Damn. <laughs> like multiple places. <laughs> it's describing her later and it's like thick layers of makeup helped with her acne pockmarks a little bit. And I'm like, damn, John Foxtron. Let's I mean, get off her acne. Her she, nuts. she looks regular. 
I, I wouldn't describe her as overly pimply. Acnetic. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it's a major plot point in the book. Somehow at 16, pimples and all, she started dating a senior named Chris who didn't have any of these problems. No pimples. No pimples, no underachieving, not a loser ghost at all. Nobody really got them as a couple because of that, and when Kim got pregnant, the whispers going around school were that she had done it intentionally to get Chris to lock things down with her. They had a little boy, Jacob, together in Kim's junior year, and they got married in her senior year. Damn, Kim. Damn, Kim. When their son was six, Kim and Chris divorced, and she went to work for a company that hauled things like piney lumber and building materials and semis. She was still working there, just 26 years old, when she met 30-year-old Kevin Sines at work. Kevin may have been a less upstanding citizen than Chris had been. (laughs) He had been in constant trouble with the law throughout the 90s and had just gotten out on parole on charges of having a shit ton of marijuana, somewhere between 5 and 50 pounds. That's a lot of freaking marijuana. (laughs) He probably was hauling it in his lumber trucks. Probably. I mean, I don't know. You have to wonder. No, because I think that when he was working there, he had, like, just gotten out. Oh, okay. Like, just. It must have been, like, a... I mean, I bet it was one of those things where employment is a condition of your parole, and he they, they hire felons, probably. I don't know. I'm, I'm entirely pulling that out of my ass. Kim and Kevin moved in together fast, and very early in their relationship, he violated his parole by failing to appear about a traffic violation he'd committed in Arizona. And he ended up with a warrant in Arizona. But Texas doesn't know about that, so he and Kim got married anyway in Texas in 2000 when she was 27, he was 31, and Kim's son would have been around 9 or 10, and Kim was six months pregnant with her second child with Kevin. First with Kevin, second child. She left the transport company pretty much as soon as they got married after working there for three years, which was and would remain a record for her, that three-year employment thing. She had her baby, which was a girl, named her Madison, and around this time was when she decided on her next act. She was leaving the Piney Transport Company and going into nursing. Yay! Yay! In case anybody has missed it or forgotten or something, the audio guy is an RN. And that is why this is the episode that we're doing. So Kim started taking classes to be an LVN. Do you want to say anything about LVNs? Something that's not going to alienate too many people? No. (laughs) If you can't alienate people, you have nothing to say. No. (laughs) You have. What do you want me to say? Can you tell me a little bit about what they like, where they fit in the scheme of things? Like the the nursing food chain. Where are LVNs? Where are LVNs? Mm-hmm. Well, in Indiana, they're not called LVNs. Mm, what are they here? Here and in most places, they're LPNs, oh. which is licensed practical nurse. But the V is for vocational. V is for vocational. It's st- it's the same thing. It's just, it, it's a, usually like a certificate type program. It's not really like college per se. You're not really going to like full nursing school. It's, if you were to go to a hospital, you're, you would be unlikely to find any LVNs or LPNs because hospitals don't usually employ them. They're employed a lot of times in like nursing home situations. My company does not hire LPNs 
for any part of the nursing roles because they are not allowed to assess. And they're also typically not allowed to do very much with IV medications. And pretty much everything in dialysis has to do with IV medications. Now, there's something called the Nurse Practice Acts, which is different based on which state you're in. So I don't know if maybe in Texas there's some loopholes there that let LPNs do a little bit more. But as far as what they are... They're kind of in between a nurse and a tech. And by nurse, I mean an an RN, a registered nurse. Well, you say that not that many places hire them, but let me tell you what, everybody was hiring Kim. (laughs) Absolutely everybody. I don't know how long it took her to graduate, but she did in 2004 with a four-year-old and a 14-year-old at that point. Her first position as an LVN was in a hospital. I don't know what she was doing there. I mean, nothing good. She was... Fired for reasons unknown to us after five months. And then she went to work at the other major hospital in the area. Just two months in, they caught her stealing Demerol and fired her. Oh, man. Apparently, she was also, quote, giving it to patients who were not in pain. Whatever that really... What does that mean? Like, was she just the Demerol fairy? Just... Robin Hooding it up? I mean, it sounds like she was just... Is there, like, some kind of scam that involves giving it to patients, but ones that don't need it? I mean, she was also taking it for herself, for sure, but... I mean, it could have been a lot of things. If you... I mean, she could have been giving it to them because they were being whiners, and she wanted them to shut up, so here, take some Demerol and go to sleep. Well, I mean, that would be on brand for her. That hospital pressed charges against her nursing license, but it took forever, and I mean forever, for that situation to come to fruition. So she was able to keep mixing it up in the world of nursing with nothing yet showing on her license. Home health will hire just about anybody, so she got a position at a home health place. She started out doing an adequate job, but pretty fast she got mopey and shitty, started calling in constantly, then started no-showing constantly before finally getting fired. And I say this like it was a gradual decline over years, but she worked there for a matter of weeks. Oh. Yeah. Cool, cool. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think John Fox John was being rather generous by saying she started strong, because how strong could she have started? <laughs> Maybe she had a strong first day. Maybe she did, but it it was not to be. <laughs> so she finally got fired. She herself was in and out of inpatient treatment at that point for depression and suicidal ideation. But she did still manage to land a job at a state school for people with developmental disabilities. As the nurse? Presumably. I, the book, I don't think, actually says what she did then, but I'm fairly certain as a nurse. What the hell? Yeah. So she started out in a probationary period, and when her 30 days was up, they told her she was unsuited to the role and fired her. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So okay. and that, that, I think that was maybe her fifth in very little, fourth or fifth in very little time. So it sounds like at this point, nursing is like as a profession. It's not working out. It's trying to reject this woman from its ranks like an infected splinter. Yeah. And that's pretty hard to do in the hospital because there's a nursing shortage. So as long as you're like not killing everybody, not taking the drugs yourself. (laughs) Funny you should say that. Those two things. (laughs) You're pretty much good. Well, my God, for once she's an overachiever. (laughs) Yeah. You show up to work, don't kill anybody and don't take the drugs yourself. (laughs) And for a little while, you probably have a job. Well, yeah, for a little while, you do. So next, she got a job at a children's clinic. What the fuck oh, is yay. a children's clinic? Is this another word for a pediatrician? A children's clinic. That is such weird phrasing to me. <sighs> 
But she got a job there. After four months, she had no call, no showed eight and a half days. And Okay, <laughs> here's the thing, guys. You may be saying, oh my god, no call, no shows, eight and a half days. You're usually fired on the first time you no call, no show. Well, not in nursing, because yeah. there's so few yeah. of the, of our species <laughs> that, that they let you do this terrible and thing. Don't thing do it. You generally don't work five-day weeks. So when we're talking about no call, no show, eight days and four months... Then you're basically the not working. The odds are worse than it sounds. Eight and a half days. So I guess maybe one day she just came in halfway through, I assume. That that happens. Yeah. So after six months, she did get written up after those four months. But after six months, she was fired, which I think... Somebody had a tough HR. Yeah. So Kim and Kevin separated after almost seven years of marriage in 2007. And it was messy. He went to his mom's house, she followed him there, and she harassed him so extensively that she got arrested and he got a protective order. But they were back together within two months. Nonetheless, their relationship was on a downward trajectory. It had been for a while. It would continue to be. The charges against her license from the hospital still hadn't caught up to her. Oh my god, what is the Texas <laughs> Nursing Board doing? Yeah. And Kim's blaze of not exactly glory started in August of 2007 when she was hired by Davida Lufkin Dialysis Center. Well, let's talk about Davida's CEO, Kent Theory. Hmm. <laughs> So let's talk about some of the adjectives that I have found for Kent floating around the internet. Rich and wacky, eccentric, a showboating musketeer. John Oliver did a segment a few years ago, which was theoretically about dialysis, but largely about Kent, who is a shoo-in for our running lust of chaos. Running lust. Lust. No. Running list I hope not. of chaotic men. <laughs> I don't have lust for chaotic men. <laughs> Melanie probably does. The John Oliver segment includes a clip which starts with a stage with pyrotechnic shooting everywhere, old-time rock and roll starts playing, and a man bursts out of the stage in a medieval times style costume, only barefoot, stumbles because he is 61 years old, dances around, and attempts a cartwheel that turns into a somersault that is very much what our six-year-old does every day. In other clips, he rides in on his costume, in his costume on a dirt bike or a horse. He refers to himself as your mayor. Sometimes he gives motivational rallies in a tuxedo with a sword. Other times he gives speeches in more of a standard rich white guy outfit, like the half-unbuttoned linen top, kind of all-cream-colored vibe. And sometimes when he does that, he tells people that he runs DeVita the same way he'd run a bunch of Taco Bells. And he seems oblivious as to how that sounds. Oh, Yep. He stepped God. down. Yeah. He stepped down as CEO in 2019, but he was indicted in a, quote, healthcare hiring conspiracy just last week. So, what does Kent have to do with this story? Ultimately, not much, but he could not be left out. <laughs> I don't feel like I can do an episode about DeVita dialysis and not talk about Kent Theory. So, can you explain, by the way, if you haven't picked this up, not only is the audio guy an RN, he is a dialysis RN. So, can you explain in very layman's terms what dialysis is for anybody who doesn't know? So, the dialysis that we're talking about is hemodialysis, and it is basically, it's an artificial kidney, basically. You run on a machine, the machine cleans your blood the same way that a kidney would clean your blood. Uh, for anywhere from three to five hours, usually three days a week. All right. Beautiful. So that brings us up to August of 2007. 
Kim Sines, presumably with her world's worst nurse mug in hand, shows up for her first day at DeVita. It had two bays, and I don't know if this is similar to you or not. So yeah, we, we can't say where you do work, but we can say that you are a dialysis RN and you don't work for DeVita. So this place had two bays, each had a nursing station, and each bay has two rows of patient chairs positioned back to back in each bay. Is that similar to you, what you're used to? I mean, it's these places are set up in all different ways because dialysis centers aren't always built as dialysis centers. So, Oh, interesting. I mean, like sometimes, I yeah, I mean, sometimes they're like converted from a bank. Oh, my God. And you have to think that they're not going to go in and gut the entirety of the structures in there, so they're going to use what they can. So, I mean, more or less, the answer is no, not in my particular clinics have I seen back-to-back chairs, but okay. there's always rows of chairs. Okay. So, that that's not really super relevant to the story. I'm just trying to give people who have maybe never been into a dialysis clinic a mental image. So, let's talk about a day in the life of a dialysis patient. Let's Let's run through this. They get there, a lot of them get there early as shit, don't they? Yeah. Like, how early are we talking? Well, um, at my clinic, we open at, like, 5 a.m. in the morning. So 5 a.m. in the morning. They, that is, that's a, a classic audio guyism is a.m. in the morning. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm getting my ass out of bed at 3 a.m. in the morning, which is in 3 a.m. in the morning or 3 a.m. at night. I mean, some people are just finishing up their... No, a.m. is a.m. Hmm. That's all you need to know. Fuck that. <laughs> you do Anyway, the first patient goes on the machine and starts at like 5.15. Okay. How long does it, how long do they stay on? Depends on the prescription. Some of them stay on for three hours. Some stay on for, I would say that the average is four hours. Okay. So they have an access. They all have accesses, correct? Uh Uh-huh. What is an access? The way we get to your blood. Okay. So... How do they get there? Do they drive themselves? Do they jog there? Most of the time, they have they transport. They on Kent Theory. With Kent Theory holding on to him from behind. I doubt it. <laughs> Highly doubt it. Um, most of them have transportation of some sort. And by that, I mean they have like a transportation service. Um, some of them have relatives or spouses or someone bringing them but usually they don't drive because your blood pressure can drop pretty significantly during dialysis okay i will refrain from talking shit about davida although there is an inexplicably intense dialysis chain rivalry that i never knew or suspected existed and now as mrs audio guy i have uh, a stake in this weird rivalry and we've established that you do not work for DeVita, but I'm not going to talk shit about DeVita. But I will say that this specific clinic had major issues. Mm. For at least the past four years, they'd had a lot of issues passing their state requirements. DeVita reused dialyzers. Can you briefly, so briefly explain what dialyzers are? Because you, you have a lot to say about dialyzers and we only need about 5% of it. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Um, a longish time ago, dialyzers used to be reused by all of the clinics, but the dialyzer is literally what actually cleans your blood. It is the piece of equipment that is the kidney, more or less. Okay. 
I've seen one of these one time because you had to bring a couple home during your training, and they're maybe a bit smaller than a two liter, but bigger than a twenty ounce drink. Mm-hmm. They're a cylinder. Yeah, they're a cylinder, and they've got almost looks like a vacuum filter in the middle. <laughs> yeah, it's really tiny, tiny vi- fibers. Mm-hmm. So Davita reused their dialyzers, and you know, not every chain does. I mean, DeVita in does. in the past, everyone did. Two thousand seven. Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, I was not in dialysis. I, I didn't in get the impression from but... reading this that it was necessarily universal mm-hmm. because our friend John Foxchon seems lightly judgmental about it. So I assume it must not have been yeah. a universal practice at the time. In Hawaii, pretty much everyone still reuses oh, yeah, because they can't different. get anything shipped over there. Yeah, uh, but here's the uh, like the fact is that the dialyzer is what your blood is going through. And so they're basically washing someone else's blood out of it and then putting different blood in it. Yeah. Unless maybe they had the dialyzers labeled. I feel like that would make a lot of sense. I don't think they did, but I feel like if if a place is going to do that, they really should do it that way. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I've never reused a dialyzer, so I mean, there there may be like a shelf life once you've hmm. run blood through them so many times. I don't know. So they did have a designated reuse technician to oversee cleaning them and just that whole process. At various points, inspections had found that that person was not sterilizing things correctly. The staff were poorly trained. There were infection control protocols not being followed. Various forms of documentation were incomplete or missing, including reports on dead patients, which obviously these are your patients are nearing the end of their life almost all the time. A lot of the time. A lot of the time, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would think that a scenario where someone wouldn't be would be like a younger person who's a good candidate for a kidney transplant. But it seems like for most of these people, they're older, and this is life-extending care in most instances. Yeah, I mean, for some people, they're going to be on dialysis for their whole lives. Because there is pediatric dialysis. Oh, God, I can't even think about that. And I think I read in this book that the average lifespan from the time you start dialysis is like three years. The, a lot of people say that, and it's true, but you have to take into consideration that that doesn't average out the outliers. Because, I mean, there are some yeah. people that start dialysis for some reason at like 90 years old. Yeah. And... They're going to live like a week. <laughs> I wonder if that counts people who, you know, maybe start it in the hospital after a car accident or something and then die. I don't know. I don't uh, know if they're just looking at people that entered a chronic clinic. Yeah, I don't know. But I mean, by and large, you know, they're going to die at a higher rate than a lot of other situations. Sure. How, how much is too much? How much death? Yeah. I mean, I know that is you can't really be like, oh, well, if you exceed three per month, that's a problem. But like, like, how many deaths would have to happen from your patients in your clinic, say, in a single month before you were like, what the fuck? Well, I mean, it really, really depends. Because... You could be in a clinic that's getting that's a super busy clinic. Like my clinic is a super that's busy true. clinic, yeah. and and I and we may be getting, you know, ten patients in a month, and half of those patients are directly from the ICU, and they run one treatment, and then they're dead. Or yeah. 
you also, you know, have to take into consideration pandemics well, because that really, not in this you don't. Yeah, but that did really shift the numbers, yeah. and I mean, th- those numbers are also going to be shifted during flu season. Yeah, so you kind of have to look at that. Uh, so I really can't give you a, a number yeah. per se because it has just way too much to yeah. do with how busy the clinic is, how many transfers mm-hmm. you're getting. There would that. inevitably be a point where you would be like, "What the fuck?" Well, yeah, especially if you were seeing like long-term patients that otherwise hadn't been having kind of any kind of issues. Yes. Um, now that happens sometimes Bullshit. because I'm for okay. various reasons. Yeah. They're usually older. I mean, they're probably not in the best health if they're on dialysis, but that's kind of what I'm referring to as long-term patients who are doing well. Mm-hmm. Like, and they were dying in in the chair. Yeah, deaths in the chair are really rare. Yeah. Really <laughs> rare. Not here. So, other problems, their ratios were way too high. They didn't have the necessary number of staff. During an inspection, two employees approached the inspector's of their own volition and volunteered the fact that they were often ordered to go against doctors' orders and patients' treatments. Which, what do you think about that? I mean, the fact... Okay. There's probably, it probably depends on context, doesn't it? It super depends on context, because the, the thing is, is that dialysis does tend to... The nurses have a lot of autonomy. Attract a very strong personality, <laughs> and so... Sometimes there's some um, clashes between nurses and technicians. So I have to wonder, anytime I hear something like that, I, I'm not even listening to it. Because I've got no idea what's happening. Okay. I don't know if there's some kind of weird dynamic. Maybe the nurse is shitty. Maybe the nurse is That's great. Fair. Maybe the tech is shitty. Maybe the tech is great. I don't know. But I kind of figured you were going to uh, say that. I don't know. <laughs> the so, fact that they're approaching a inspector... Doesn't even ruffle my feathers. That sounds like some shit sounds that like would happen on a Tuesday. Like, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, their biomed guy was split between two clinics 70 miles apart, and he was the only one who knew how to treat the water. So if they ran out of what they needed and he was at the other clinic, they were shit out of luck. What the hell do you mean he was the only one that knew he how to treat the water? He was the only one that knew. How, what do you, but what do you mean by treat the water? It, I think it said... um to mix something that was needed to treat the water? Like some some Bicarbonate? Maybe, I don't know. Don't I hope to hell that's not true. So, yeah, I, don't, I mean, they really needed to maybe train somebody else, but they didn't, and this guy was one guy, 70 miles apart, so that, that became a problem sometimes. I mean, the thing, I, I really would need to know what you mean by treating water, because, like, a biomed 70 miles apart, doesn't really surprise me because honestly, the only thing a biomed should be doing is fixing machines, making sure you've got backup machines in the back, making sure that, you know, your water isn't, your RO systems and stuff are working. Mm-hmm. Those don't typically break. I mean, they, they break sometimes, like your bicarbonate machine mm-hmm. may break or you're not able to make acid because something's going on there. But for the most part, you don't need, need, like six biomed guys in a 70 mile radius. All right. Well, generally speaking, nonetheless, the clinic was a poorly run corner cutting mess, much like Kim herself. Yay. <laughs> a note on bleach, because bleach will come up many, many times in this. And I know that every clinic, definitely every chain, has their own policies for when and how and why it's used. So just so that we know what is going on in this clinic, 
Davida kept two small buckets of bleach water mixtures at every patient station, mixed at different ratios. I think it was one to ten and one to a hundred. It's typical ratios. Yeah, for different purposes, and that will become important later. So just file that. They away. kept that at every patient station. I think station? they were small pails, but yes. Why? I don't know. You think That's I a make lot rolls of, of Davida bleach. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, they, I don't know, they wipe down everything with it. We do, too, and, and we have two small buckets in the middle of the clinic. Wow. Well, maybe maybe this story's why. <laughs> maybe this is why you don't have buckets everywhere. So, miraculously, Kim seems to have kept her shit together, more or less, for the first eight months that she was there, but she was terrible to work with. She was moody, resentful, unreliable. The way that DeVita does things is they have PCTs, which is patient care technicians. I don't need to tell you. I'm telling everybody else. And that is kind of, I, I would think a little bit, I think most people's closest approximation would be a CNA, but I think they have a whole lot more knowledge and responsibility than a CNA typically would. I mean, you don't have to have any medical background at all. No, to I didn't say PCT. background, but I mean, I think that the job is a lot more technical than most CNA oh, jobs. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. But I think that in terms of the food chain, that would be the closest it is. that most lay people would know. And then they had LVNs, which we've already talked about, and they had RNs. The PCTs do patient care. LVNs do almost the exact same thing, plus the ability to, quote, give shots, according to John Fox John. Yeah. I, I typed that because it's what he said, and I was like, give shots? What does that mean? Like, do you mean, like, in an IV kind of way, or like... What do you mean, give shots? I thought that was an odd turn of phrase. It's probably like flu shots and stuff like that. But the, here's the thing. Well, so I don't think that's what they mean. Because it implies that she can do med pass if there's no one else around. Yeah, I mean, so sometimes there is a medication nurse. Yes, there is. And We're that. that is something that has been used in days past in dialysis, very seldom sometimes used. Now there are some LPNs that still kind of hang around that have just been around for so long that the company doesn't want to technically boot them out, but they're just, so there's a really different role for them than there is for the RNs. They, they're more so doing a a task oriented role where their their task is to pass the medications they're not assessing they're just passing these medications and sometimes they use a QMA for that too which is a qualified medical assistant which is basically a CNA with one extra test which is allows them to pass certain medications but it it, it, it really depends on the state like Texas I don't know what yeah. they let LPNs pass yeah. meds our LPNs can't well, we're going to get into Do that a little certain bit, things here. Because it, it does come up. So, obviously, their RNs are the boss of the PCTs and the LVNs. And there are supposed to be three RNs per shift overseeing things. What is your face doing? It's a lot. Yeah. Well, Kim absolutely fucking hated that. LVNs were sometimes pushed into the RN role when there weren't enough RNs. And that is the only thing Kim wanted to do. She hated patient care. Hated patient care. When I say hated, I mean hated patient care. Wanted nothing to do with it. She treated some patients really poorly. She bitched to everyone anytime she had to fulfill her own actual role and quote, considered patient care beneath her per John Fox John. 
It seems like this was a festering source of resentment for a long time. I mean, long time in Kim years. She's only been there like eight months. Cool. <laughs> On April Fool's Day of 2008, the staff and patients of DeVita had a terrible day. It started with 78-year-old Clara Strange, who was born into a huge family in 1930. She retired from a state school, lost her adult daughter, leaving her to raise her grandchildren well into her old age. She was friendly and easygoing, one of the staff's favorite patients. She was put under her machine at 11.34 a.m., and other than some passing shortness of breath, it was going fine, flowing at 400 cc's per minute when her PCT, Whirlin, was about to break your face. I have to start that over. I mean, that name sounds like Merlin. <laughs> Whirlin comes up a lot in this. I like it. I think it's whimsical. Like a whirly gig. So Whirlin was her PCT, and he went to break at around 2.30 in the afternoon. When he came back, everything was different. Miss Strange was unconscious, no heartbeat. Her blood flow rate was at 300, not 400 like it was supposed to be. He yelled, Kim, what's going on? But she didn't even answer. They rushed a crash cart over, but she was already dead and was never able to be resuscitated. Literally moments later, another patient, 68-year-old Fran Metcalf, also took an abrupt nosedive. Her blood pressure suddenly dropped from 105 over 82 to 93 over 68, and out of nowhere, her heart stopped beating. You have to you have to narrate your faces that you're making. What does that mean? These blood pressure drops. Not that big of a drop? No. Okay. Well, I mean, she was fucked, though. Yeah. Yeah, because then her heart stopped beating. So... Corey, the same PCT who had just worked on Miss Strange, brought a like a handheld airbagging ventilating thing. There's a name for that. What is it? An Ambu bag. Yes, that. He brought one over. They they describe it in a weird way in the book, and I'm like, I know what that is. Like <laughs> I can picture it clearly in my head. I know what it does. I know how to use it, but they they describe it in such a weird technical reinventing the wheel kind of way. <laughs> And I could not remember the actual name of it. So, good thing we have you. So, he brought that over for Miss Metcalf and he gave it to Kim to use. But Miss Metcalf's chest was not rising and falling, so they knew it was not working. Corey yelled for Kim that they were going to have to open her airway. Remember, Corey's a fucking PCT. I'm not throwing shade at him at all, but like, goddamn, can someone higher up the food chain give this guy a little help here? There's a lot of nurses... That don't like to get involved in patient care and forget how to do CPR. Okay. Well, uh, he yelled for her that they were going to have to open Miss Metcalf's airway, but she was completely indifferent. Kim, not Miss Metcalf. I mean, I guess they both were at this point. That sucks. He took over, but he couldn't get her airway clear. And when she made it to the hospital, she died, making two dead patients in a five-minute window of time. Okay. Is that unusual? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Have you ever had that happen? No. Okay. Well... Not the last time it's going to happen. This, well, yeah, you look very alarmed. This was not a good look for DeVita. And the very next day, they sent in the big guns in the form of Amy Clint, a higher up who came to the clinic. And I believe she was some sort of nurse. I assume she probably was an RN. She's an RN, probably. Yeah. She was a higher up, and she was, I think, more in administration, but also it, it does mention that she was some type of nurse. Doesn't specify the book. So she came to the clinic and she took over responsibility for everything that happened there. Just effective right now. 
She set to work trying to get to the bottom of it. They had had bad numbers, like really bad numbers, as far as patient deaths for months, but two and five minutes could not be normal, especially when both of them had been relatively healthy, long-term patients who were tolerating their treatments well. Amy brought specialists with her. They looked into the water, although, as would later become important, their water was on a loop, so there was no logical reason for the water to affect only specific patients. If it was going to affect anybody, it would affect everybody. I don't know if that's the way your system is, but they seem pretty clear. Yeah, okay. So they looked into the water, couldn't find anything. They checked the physical machinery of the system. It was fine. They checked the biomed techs, and they found nothing concerning. They checked the reuse dilator. Dilators. Dialyzers. They checked the reuse techs. They checked the dialysis machines. They poured over the protocols that the staff were following to make sure something wasn't wrong where they were following the rules and the rules were just killing people. They read and reread the dead patient's records. They looked and looked and looked and looked and looked and looked. The only possible lead they found involved heparin, which, as you know, is a blood thinning drug. Another brand of heparin had recently had a recall. It wasn't even the same brand, but maybe it was something. So they got rid of it all got a different kind of heparin, and the problem seemed to resolve for a little while, which I think would suggest either a problem with the heparin or some kind of human error that was cleared up by the staff's increased vigilance with Amy breathing down their backs. It seems like it's got to be one of the two, because those are the two variables we've tweaked here. (laughs) Well, yeah. So, if only they had had access to Kim's computer. They would have saved themselves a lot of time, because about 12 hours after Miss Strange and Miss Metcalf died, she googled, can bleach be detected in dialysis lines? And dialysis patient symptoms of bleach poisoning. In the following, and I mean, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that, you know, Kim's the bad guy. But later she would try to say that she was just concerned that they were doing a bad job with, like, making sure the lines were clean and clean. So she wanted to check and see, you know, if that was a problem, could it be traced? Which is transparently bullshit. In the following month, 34 patients were rushed to the hospital by ambulance, which was apparently enough to qualify as the problem improving. Because... 34? Yeah. Not dead, but rushed to the hospital by ambulance, and some of them were dead. Holy shit. Yeah. By the way, if that, if that sound got picked up, that was not farting. That was my leg on the leather chair. <laughs> yeah, that, and I mean, it's a, it's like, yeah, the next month, 34 patients were rushed to the hospital in an ambulance, but it also, like, in the breath before that, said that after they got rid of the heparin, the problem kind of improved. And it's talking about the same so time. So how period. many more patients, how many, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I guess you could have just a super highly acute, Unit, but like, guess what? This is called chronic. I mean, I don't. This really, is chronic. Really guess what? Think, you have to be fairly I medically don't think stable. They did honestly. The book gets into these particular patients and their histories and what was wrong with them and how long they'd been in dialysis and how they were tolerating everything, and just how they were doing medically. The book gets into it a lot. It would not make for very interesting podcasts, but like, th- I mean, I'm not a dialysis nurse, but it seemed like these people had been trucking along for like. Three, four, five, ten years. Jesus, that's so sad. Yeah, it gets sadder. On April 16th, two weeks after Miss Strange and Miss Metcalf died, staff and patient favorite Garland Kelly came in for his treatment. He was an old black man and a beloved football coach who was still extremely active, independent, funny, kind, and extremely well-liked. 
He brought a boiled egg in with him every day to eat during his treatment. And he was put on at 5.36 a.m. and left to relax with his boiled egg and ESPN. His PCT, Sharon, was keeping an eye on a lot of patients during a break time when suddenly two hours into his treatment, Mr. Kelly's machine alarm went off. When Sharon looked, Kim was already there messing with Mr. Kelly's machine, trying to reset it to stop the alarm. But something was horribly wrong. Mr. Kelly was unconscious in his chair. And when... No, okay. This is a good a good pause here. So this happens, let's say, you're, which I'm sure this probably has happened to you. Machine's going off. The patient is unconscious. What Do you deal with the patient or the alarm first? The fucking patient. Okay. I mean, I would hope so, but I was like... There's like a, when, if there's something there's, like that going you know, on, and I'm like, you know what? What what's going on? If I'm looking at the patient and the patient, the first thing I'm doing is looking at the patient. As when the alarm goes off, I'm going over there and I'm looking at the patient. I mean, I would hope so. And if the patient's unconscious, <laughs> I mean, Jesus, the the like, I guess I could be looking at the machine for a second. Like, if there was a problem, I've seen some. There have been instances when I've been at work and there's been somebody that didn't clamp something that needed clamped, and we'll see that they dry bag the patient, which is what happens when you. Um, when you don't clamp something and then all the saline goes in. And then it's fucking imperative to get the lines clamped so yeah. that air isn't getting to the patient. But, but I'm like clamp, s- clamp, and then I'm yeah. on the patient. I feel like standing there dicking around trying to make the alarm stop would, you would not be, be the thing. <laughs> you, you know, no, it wouldn't be the thing, but there are a lot of people that would do it. <laughs> well, Kim was one of them. So when the charge nurse reached him, she discovered something really strange, which really is never... I don't think explain. I don't know if you have any insight into this. I don't know if anyone does. It was an odd clot in his line. And the book, which I think I can reveal the name now, is called Killer Nurse, says it was fibrous, almost like hair. And an RN who saw it said she'd never seen anything like it and never had since. So it's weird. I don't I don't know what to make of that, but <laughs> there you have it. Mr. Kelly was rushed to the hospital, still unconscious, where he would remain in a coma for quite a while. Directly after this happened to Mr. Kelly, the clinic once again had two patients take the same turn for the worse at almost the same exact time. Graciela Castaneda was doing great until she wasn't. Minutes after Mr. Kelly became unresponsive, Miss Castaneda was talking to someone who was messing with her lines, and she suddenly went into cardiac arrest. She followed Mr. Kelly to the hospital, but she was revived and survived. That was the day that Evita stopped reusing dialyzers, probably just feeling like they had to do something other than sitting on their hands and waiting for patients to drop. And for a week, they didn't drop. Until April 23rd. Marie Bradley was a 77-year-old lady and one of the only patients who drove themselves to and from her treatments. On the 23rd, she was put on at 11 a.m. and was almost done at 3.30, but suddenly her blood pressure and oxygen level both plunged. And maybe you can interpret this part a bit, maybe not. Her LDH levels were 169 just before this happened and 1372 after. Miss Bradley did survive after a couple days in the hospital in a coma. The day after Miss Bradley woke up, things were worse than ever at DeVita. Opal Few was a 91-year-old patient. She ran a boarding house for years and years. She was deeply devoted to her large family and an incredibly hard worker for her entire life. She was reluctant to spend all her time at the clinic and didn't want dialysis, but of course she needed it. But she was still babysitting two preteen grandchildren and a toddler, 
She generally felt that she did not have time for this shit, and on that morning, DeVita offered her an earlier spot, and she was happy to take it. Miss Few was doing great when her LVN, it's D-O-N-N-Y-A, Danya? Sure, we're going to say Danya. When her LVN, Danya, went to break. When Danya came back, Miss Few had no pulse. Kim said that she'd given Miss Few her meds, and an RN told her to document that. She did not. Miss Few was never able to be revived. Meanwhile, 63-year-old Cora Bryant was running, and as usual, things were fine until they weren't. She was the patient of an LVN named Candace. And when Candace came back from her break, she found Kim fiddling with Miss Bryant's lines. And again, trying to reset her machine's alarm. <laughs> so, okay. It talks about how, like, when the alarm goes off, the blood stops flowing. Is that right? Yes. And, well, it depends on the alarm, but... Well, uh, some alarms. Yeah. That, that's the thing. So the blood stops flowing, and but then that means that some of the blood that's meant to be in your body is not in your body. It's in, you know... The lines. The lines. So it it talks about things kind of in that framework. So I wanted to make sure that was right. So the blood, you know, it was in the lines and she had had clotting issues that morning. So they needed to change out her lines, but Candace checked for that issue again and it didn't seem to be that. Miss Bryant was comfortable and alert. So she reset the alarm and turned the machine back on, returning her blood to her plus bleach. Oh, yeah. Hemolysis. Yep. (laughs) Because Kim had been... Basically, she had somehow or another injected it into the part that was out of her body. So the machine stopped. And I mean, technically, everything in her was fine. Mm -hmm. But the bleach was in the lines. So they were like, I don't know. You seem fine. I don't know why your machine's doing this. I guess it's a glitch. Turn it back on. In goes the bleach. As soon as she did, Miss Bryant tasted something strange, said, what are you giving me? Turned her head and died. Within minutes or hours of Miss Few. Okay. And if anybody, what is the concentration of this bleach that's getting? Well, I mean, I have to assume it varies because some of them are just like, I don't feel great, and then they live, and others are just like killed instantly. Fuck. I don't know if that has to do with you know the patient's health and constitution or the dilution of the bleach. I don't. If that's ever answered in the book, I I never saw it. And if anybody isn't aware, I feel like most people are aware, but I guess I wasn't until I had it happen that when you get Certain IV drugs, you can taste it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Iron tastes like black licorice. Oh, that's weird. That's what they tell me. <laughs> well, I mean, I didn't know that until I had a coma and I had uh, Dilaudid. And now it smells like the stuff they use to clean the windows at Walmart, so I don't like to walk down the Walmart. <laughs> well, the, the, like the freezer window, so I don't like to go down there when they're cleaning it because it tastes like Dilaudid to me. So, she died within either minutes or hours of Miss Few. But Kim wasn't done yet. Deborah Oates had been running uneventfully when she suddenly felt absolutely awful. Her blood pressure dropped from 147 over 73 to 83 over 56. Damn. And suddenly, oh, finally, you're impressed by blood blood pressure drop. Suddenly, her whole body hurt. She felt sick. She started vomiting. And then her access started bleeding and wouldn't stop. She also tasted... That's not anything to do with the bleach. Yeah. Your access is bleeding because you're vomiting, so you're jerking your hands around, and it's making the needle area a little <laughs> bit wide. That's why you're here. And the vomiting may or may not have had anything to do with the bleach either. The vomiting was probably because of the severe blood pressure drop. 
But I think that the gist is that the blood pressure drop is from the bleach. I don't know why that causes the blood pressure drop, but it seems to all the time in these people. Like, almost all of these had some kind of blood pressure drop. So, I don't know. I mean, I guess the fact that you look like you don't either means you're not injecting your patients with bleach. That's nice of you. <laughs> so, suddenly, her whole body hurt. She felt sick, started vomiting, excess bleeding. And she also tasted something fucked up and asked Kim, what did you give me? Which was not something anyone had ever heard her ask anymore. But Kim didn't answer. She walked away. Miss Oates. Especially when the patients are like, damn. I, I mean, like... If you're going to inject your patient with bleach and they're like, what are you doing? You could at least be like, nothing. You know, it's it's just saline. You'll be feeling great. Like She was probably mean as hell. A I've, worked, I've worked with nurses like this. That's the mm-hmm. same nurse that's like, what did you inject me with? <laughs> and they're like, your medicine. Oh, God. And walked away. Oh, no. Well, I could see a nurse doing but, that. But Kim won't even say that. I mean, at least that would be an answer. Mean as hell. A mean answer, a surly answer, a not helpful answer, but an answer, I guess. Kim just walked away. Uh, Miss Oates was rushed to the hospital and survived, but can you literally imagine how terrified she must have been? Because it's 9 or 10 a.m. and she just, in that time, already watched two other patients die. I mean, that has to be terrifying. It is. Just fucking sure. terrifying. So, here we go. Two days later, the 28th, is when things really hit the fan. Someone called in, and this meant that Kim wasn't going to have to suffer the indignity of doing patient care. She would get to fill a role typically filled by an RN. That is until Amy, who was still overseeing things, called an RN named Dale to see if he could... I feel like that's such a male nurse name, Dale. I've literally known male nurses named Dale. So yeah, you're right. To see if he could work, and he said, no problem, because Dale, I guess, had some work ethic. Dale liked overtime. Yeah. Happy birthday, by the way. Thank you. You're 32 now. Indeed. You started this at 31, but you are now This is taking me a year. (laughs) This is taking you a year. Shut up. So, Dale said, sure, no problemo. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. But it was... Angry, angry, lemon, angry for Kim. Kim only wanted to be med nurse. And Guess now, Kim should have gone to nursing school and been an RN, huh? So now Dale would be the med nurse. And when they told Kim about this, she got, quote, teary That's like me being mad that I'm not the nephrologist. Like, <laughs> fuck off. No, you're I mean, not I the nephrologist. I mean, I guess to be fair, she did periodically get to be the med nurse. So, I mean, that's something. But when they told her about that, she got, quote, teary-eyed and upset. But still, no one realized right away how incredibly bitter this made her. Teary-eyed. Like, teary-eyed. Jesus Christ, Kim, just go Pull be together, an LPN. Kim. That's what you are. Nope, she hates it. She fucking hates Fuck it. Fuck off, Kim. Change your cards. She Take your destiny by the... hates it. By the what? Dick. <laughs> Take it by the dick. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so... That day, Kim and her co-worker Angie had four patients. And at 5.52 a.m. That ain't shit. I know. Four patients. I know. What the fuck are you even mad about, Kim? She's mad because she has any patients. She fucking hates patients. Then don't be a nurse. Or just be And your RN should be doing patient care, too. What are you doing, DeVita? Use your RNs for patient care. 
Oh my yeah. god, what are you if doing? If you don't like patient... The moral of this is that if you don't like patient care, either don't be an LVN or just kill all your patients. Don't be an RN either. And don't work with me. I got no time for you. <laughs> At 5.52am, they put Marvarone on. The vibe in the clinic it was just not good. Like, it was not good. Everybody was shitty. Everybody was stressed. Everybody was dead. Amy realized that Kim was AWOL, and she found her outside smoking when she was not supposed to be outside at all, doing anything. Kim was agitated, but Amy talked to her and thought she had hopefully diffused the situation. Other than some mild blood pressure issues, Miss Roan was still running without issue, and at 8 a.m., Angie went on break, leaving Kim with her patients. While Angie was away, Kim started 62-year-old er, Lurleen Hamilton on her machine. Before her health declined, Miss Hamilton had worked in a nursing home. Miss Hamilton was a sharp, observant woman. She noticed who was doing what and when. What she observed that morning was Kim standing around looking side to side as if to check for anyone watching her. She said Kim was fidgety and unlike herself. What Miss Hamilton saw next made her blood run cold. Kim set two bleach buckets on the floor. Sidebar here. This book spends half of its time talking about how unfathomable it was that anything would ever under any circumstances be set on the floor. I assume that's probably true. No, you guys just do all your work on the floor? Neither of those statements are true. I just... <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? I mean... If it's literally a bucket of bleach, I'm assuming what you're doing with it, like we have bleach containers and we do have a 1 to 100 and we have a 1 to 10. The 1 to 100 is used for most shit and the 1 to 10 is used if you've got a real big blood spill. Yeah, that's they said that. But, I mean, if it's just a bucket of bleach, I don't give a shit if it's well, on the floor. They, they or on, describe it as a pail. So I think it's a little smaller than what you might be picturing. I mean, all we do with our bleach things is put our rags in there, pull our rags out, wipe them down. And these are not reusable rags either. They're no. they're a little well, white. Apparently it rag. was just beyond the pale that she would set anything on the floor. What Miss Hamilton saw was Kim setting two bleach buckets on the floor, and then she saw her kneel, fill four syringes with water from the bucket, and tuck them back into her bra. Damn, you're not ever supposed to put meds in your bra. The floor is chill, just not your bra. <laughs> no. Okay. So, 68-year-old Linda Hall was right next to Miss Hamilton in the chair next to her, and she had also worked as a nursing assistant. And Miss Hamilton was not the only one who had seen this nightmarish sight. Miss Hall was watching, too. And, as is often the situation in our world... I would like to take this opportunity to point out that after all this bullshit, it was two black women to figure this out. <laughs> and I mean, I think if we take a look at voting trends, we may see some, some parallels. There was no good reason for Kim to do this. They'd never seen her do it before. They watched her go stand around the nursing station, nurses station for a minute, and then do something that had to be beyond their wildest speculations. They watched Kim walk over to Miss Roan, pull out a syringe from her bra, and inject what the two women knew to be bleach water into her port. They had no idea what they were supposed to do, 
they were understandably scared out of their fucking minds. Another question I have for you is how much would long-term patients have a read on like death trends? Like, do people come and go so often that maybe, you know, patient A wouldn't really notice if patient F was gone or wouldn't ask or it wouldn't be discussed? Like, do they have I mean, a read on that? Yeah. Okay. They know. I mean, I feel like, how could you not? Cause they're like, so-and-so hadn't been here. Hope he's okay. And you're like, he's not. He's dead. No, I don't say shit. Do There's you, HIPAA. You, oh, shit. So they never know? No. That's really sad, though. They find out in the obituaries. <gasps> oh, that sucks. I mean, I guess, obviously, although, why do you have HIPAA when you're dead? I don't fucking care. The when family. I'm, when I'm dead, you can put my shit on the front page of the newspaper. Well, I mean, I and a lot of times the families actually bring in, like, the funeral page mm-hmm. or the obituaries. And at our, for some reason... At our weighing station, which every patient has to go to and stare at as soon as they come in. All the obituaries are hung right there. It's like, welcome. Welcome to the clinic. These are all your friends that have died. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. I said, we have to move those. (laughs) This this isn't good. That's really bad. It is. They need to put it in the back. Like, do you want to go see if any of your really friends are dead? Bad. There's a there's a crying corner. Not just over sit here and meditate on it while but you get weighed. Because like, I know these people. How get much weighed. fluid did you put on, bitch? Oh Let's God. see all your friends that put on a little too much. Because <laughs> these fires get put people, down the lemonade, these Sharon. Get Twice a day, don't they? Yeah, they do. So they're they've got time to think. Hope you took your fluid off. Okay, well, for once, I hope Davida <laughs> made better choices than you guys. Holy shit! So Angie came back from break at eight fifteen a.m. and found that Miss Roan and another patient, Miss Reisen- Reisinger, I think. Miss, what are you looking at me for? I you think I'm some kind of name thesaurus? No, absolutely not at all. Miss Roan and Miss Reisinger were in distress when they had not been previously. Miss Roan was agitated and uncomfortable with an unexpected blood pressure spike. Miss Reisinger felt like someone was pushing on her chest, developed a severe stomachache, and was barely able to maintain consciousness. She later said, It turned into a nightmare, and so many had died, I thought, well, this is my turn. How fucking sad. Jesus. That made me so mad. Yeah. <laughs> That's just... Because, I mean, all these people must have this in the back of their mind every time they don't fucking feel good. Fuck And, I mean, off. I know. Okay, where the fuck are the RNs? Yeah. For, Get in there, Dale. <laughs> Who is Dale in this? I do... I do know, just from knowing things, and also maybe from experience, that when you have a sudden blood pressure drop, you also feel a feeling of doom. Mm-hmm. And intense anxiety and something fucking awful is happening right now. Or you pass out. Or well, you puke. Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of bad things that can happen, but I think the, the doom phenomena is very fascinating. And I don't mm-hmm. think, I don't think everyone knows that. So, I mean, and I, blood pressure drops are pretty common in dialysis patients, aren't they? Yeah. We're taking their blood out. Yeah. So, I mean, you have to imagine that every time this happens, these people must have in the back of their mind, oh, fuck, this is it everyone's dead i don't mean normally i mean in this clinic (laughs) everyone's dead and now me so the physician finally showed up from another clinic to check them out but the rest of the staff had already gotten things more or less under control 
The symptoms were passing, although at least Miss Reisinger was still off enough that when her husband picked her up, he yelled, What's wrong with my wife? Who did something to my wife? All this time, poor Miss Hall and Miss Hamilton had just been tethered to their chairs, scared to death and unsure what they should do. Finally, they flagged down a PCT that they felt like they could trust. Finally, they flagged down a PCT they felt like they could trust Yasmin and told her what they'd seen. Yasmin was discreet, but similarly panicked, and she approached Amy about what the two patients had told her. Amy, whose entire, entire purpose there was to find out why tons and tons of patients were dying, heard that two patients had just seen a staff member injecting lines with bleach, but she was basically like, nuh-uh, can't be. And I guess I'm just like a very suspicious and cynical person because I feel like I would always be like, oh, damn. Like, no matter what. I mean, the what you could do is say, oh, I hope to God this isn't what's going on. I mean, on. she, she But does immediately invest- take the fucking lines from those patients she, and test she it. She pretty much does do that. Like, I will say that she, she takes pretty swift action, but she's just in disbelief the whole time. She's basically like, can't be, but I guess we got to check and see. And I guess, I guess anyone could just tell me any bad thing and I would be like, yeah, that, that sounds about right about anything or anyone. I've read a lot of stories and heard a lot of podcasts lately that start with someone being incredulous that something so bad could happen. And I'm like, are you? I'm not. Are you? No. 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 I, I know people do things. So... Amy didn't know that people do things, apparently. She talked to Miss Hamilton and Miss Hall, and their stories tracked, but Amy was still at a loss. She confronted Kim and asked her if she'd set the buckets on the floor, which was something that was completely forbidden. And Kim said yes. Amy said, we don't do that. She also asked if Kim had given any meds to Angie's patients, and Kim said, no, just saline. She said she'd injected saline into their lines to fix clots. Kim was not helping herself like she may have thought she was. They both knew, everyone there knew, that all she needed to do to flush saline was to open the line on the bagged saline hanging above every single patient chair. There was no reason to inject it, ever. It, it was, this was nonsensical. Amy was floored. She was not sure what to do, so she sent Kim home and did a little poking around the clinic to verify some things like the fact that Kim hadn't charted anything she'd claimed she had. With her stomach sinking, she approached the physician with what she had discovered. Dr. Nazir called Miss Roan and Miss Reisinger and told them that they needed to go to the ED for blood work without saying why. But, without saying why, neither one of them went. So he called them back and this time he was like, hey, you might have been injected with bleach. You need to go. So they did. (laughs) while Amy and Dr. Nazir moved through the clinic, bagging patients' lines and putting them in the freezer to be preserved. They also bagged the sharps containers that the two patients said they had seen Kim put the syringes into. At 4.30, a man named Sergeant Abbott was pulled aside by his two bosses, who explained the case that they had just been made aware of. A nurse at a dialysis clinic was accused of injecting two patients with bleach. Both patients were doing okay now, but it was still a huge deal. And it was immediately obvious that the knowledge needed to even have a baseline understanding of how dialysis worked and what was and wasn't normal would be staggering. Shortly after getting this information, Sergeant Abbott walked into DeVita and started learning the ropes. He and Amy and some other staff dumped the sharps containers and started using test strips to check the hubs of the syringes for bleach, which should never have any reason whatsoever to have bleach in them. And one tested positive. 
Dun, dun, dun. Abbott knew it was time to call in CSU, so he did. Meanwhile, our friend Whirlin from earlier called Kim at home and asked if she'd be at the meeting they were having about all this at DeVita the next day. She said, nope, she had other plans at the expo center with her daughter. Back at the clinic, <laughs> yeah, you're faced. Well, it ended up being in a phone call because she had plans the next Back at the clinic, the staff asked that the patients be allowed to finish their treatments and leave before the investigation got fully underway and they were allowed to do so. DeVita voluntarily closed their doors to patients when those ones left. Staff worked together to explain to Abbott and the CSU team how dialysis works. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. Yep. Abbott was a quick study, but I mean, the book makes does a lot of fawning over how much he learned how fast. The staff... So, um, CSU took not just the sharps containers that the two patients had seen Kim dispose of syringes in, but all of them. They also took pictures while sitting in Miss Hall and Miss Hamilton's chairs to see if the views that they had had could line up with what they said they saw, which it did. They flagged down employees at random for little pop quizzes on policies and routines to ascertain like how ingrained and well-known and widespread they were, like the whole don't ever put anything on the floor thing. And they got confirmation after confirmation about bleach-related policies and how abnormal Kim's actions had been. The cops in CSU wrapped up at 10.30, and shortly thereafter, Sergeant Abbott got the confirmation that Miss Roan and Miss Reisinger had indeed suffered from bleach poisoning. Damn. Damn. The next morning, Kim's off-and-on husband, Kevin, showed up at the police station to report that he'd found Kim's alarming Google searches. As he talked to detectives and realized how serious the investigation really was, he stopped cooperating. I guarantee these people... Posted Joker and Harley Quinn memes. Oh, fuck yeah, they do. Kevin's like, I hate you this morning, Kim. Guess what I fucking did? Went to the cops and told them about your Google search history. And then I got a tattoo of your name on my neck on the way home. Because I love you forever. Uh-huh. <laughs> I can see the meme in my head. So... That same morning was that meeting at DeVita that Kim just didn't feel like she needed to be there for. And sure enough, she wasn't. With the clinic with the clinic shut down, I guess Roland didn't have anything else to do. So while detectives were talking to Miss Hamilton and Miss Hall about what they'd seen, Roland hopped in his car and drove out to the expo center to talk to Kim for himself. What the fuck is wrong with Roland? I don't know what Roland's up here. So weirdly, when he got there... Kim pretended not to recognize him, but they had worked together like the whole time and then said that she was having problems with her husband and that her husband had accused her of hurting her patients. She was also a mess with swollen eyes and disheveled hair. When she got back home, DeVita called her and fired her over the phone. Damn. Yeah. And then that afternoon, detective showed up at her house. They said that they wanted to bring her in for an interview, and she was like, sure, no problem. And grab my purse and call someone else to pick up my daughter from school. But then it took her, like, a while to come back out. Detective started to wonder if she was going to come out at all, but she finally did. When they got to the station and started her interview, she was talkative, but her behavior declined throughout to the point that she was no longer coherent during the interview. It was very obvious that she had taken something and quite a lot of it while they waited outside. And during the interview, it was kicking in hard. (laughs) Yeah. So 
she left. I don't know how. I don't know if they made someone pick her up or if they were just like, hey, you're, you're, um, like blackout fucked up. Just bye. I, I don't know. It's a little concerning, but somehow she left. And then at eight, eight thirty that night, police were interacting with her again when there was a call about a domestic dispute at her house where they found her drunk as Helen banging on the door. She was arrested, spent the night in jail, but things with Kevin did not improve after her release. She was quickly indicted by a grand jury, and as the investigators continued to pour over the syringes, they found bleach in more of them. More of them even than Miss Hamilton and Miss Hall had alleged, including a syringe with Miss Opal Fuse's name on it. Opal, who had died a few days ago. And suddenly the investigation turned into a murder investigation, because before this, remember, it was just Ronan Reisinger oh, who lived. Man. Yeah. There we go. Now we've got a dead patient, for sure. On May 6th, Kim's husband testified against her and was granted a restraining order. Eight days later, her nursing license was finally suspended by the board. They continued to build a case against her, but it will not surprise you to know they had an incredibly hard time finding experts who understood anything that was going on. <laughs> like, anything. <laughs> they knew that some of the patients who needed to testify would not live to see the trial, so they took advantage of a law that allowed them to record their testimony if investigators thought they might die. They sent syringes to the CDC and FDA, who were the only ones they could find that could test them. They sent 51, and they did it, uh, you know, blind. They didn't say which ones were and weren't evident, so that if they, you know, identified the right ones, it would be that much stronger. And sure enough, they did. They found bleach repeatedly, but only in evidence syringes. On May 30th, they finally had enough to arrest Kim, but her attorney bonded her out, which is apparently only a thing in, like, a couple states, if that. Of course one of them's Texas. Of course one of them's Texas. Every time Weird she, go, every time she goes, she gets an attorney bond. Because she actually was in and out of jail several times in this, but it, it got redundant and not even that relevant, so I didn't even mention all of them, but her attorney kept bonding her out. How much money does this guy have? I, I don't know. It says that she got an attorney bond, so I don't know... I don't know how it works. I'm curious. Apparently not curious enough to Google it. DeVita was allowed to slowly reopen a month after that, and they accepted nine patients on July 2nd as they participated in a safety net program that let them reopen with extreme supervision. On July 15th, Miss Bryant, who'd been hospitalized this whole time, finally died in the hospital. On August 15th, so did Mr. Garland Kelly, the guy with the boiled egg, the coach. That made me so sad. He was really nice. In early 2009, Kim voluntarily surrendered her license, but in March, incredibly, she managed to get a job at a dermatologist's office. There was no patient contact. It was like a receptionist kind of thing. But holy shit. But within a few weeks, Kevin and his, you know, probably Joker Harley Quinn bullshit went the other direction. and He called the dermatologist and filled them in on who they had hired. Oh. She was fine. I think she used a false name. She was fired, and shortly after that, she went back to jail. A few days later, Mrs. Reisinger spoke to the press and called DeVita a rat hole. And shortly after that, Kim bonded out again for three years, which is how long it took her trial to begin in 2012. She acted a damn fool during her trial, smiling and acting smug despite being up for the death penalty. Her argument was that DeVita just had bad practices, and they were throwing her under the bus as the scapegoat when it led to adverse outcomes. But she, nonetheless, was convicted of murder and sentenced to five concurrent life sentences with no possibility of parole. 
and they definitely think that she was responsible for a whole bunch more that they'll never know about. Because, I mean, remember the numbers during those months, but they only had sharps back through a certain point. They didn't necessarily have everyone's lines preserved, so with a lot of them, there was just no way of knowing. Oh, my God. But she is officially a serial killer. Um, And they, yeah, they do think she was responsible for quite a few more. At her sentencing, Miss Metcalf's daughter told Kim, you are nothing more than a psychopathic serial killer. I hope you burn in hell. And to this day, she remains in the Mountain View unit in Gatesville, Texas, nine years later, still serving her sentence. Good job. Yeah. Where she will stay. She she didn't appeal. She got denied. I mean, I would hope so. I know. Crazy ass bleach injecting. Isn't that crazy. good, but it isn't that bad. So that was dark. What do you think about that? Uh horrific. Do you have any disaster relief? Yes. This is about to be dumb shit, isn't it? I can tell. I can tell by your face. My disaster relief. Oh, 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 he looks, uh, he looks defiant. Is. He's got a little wiggle in his chin. (laughs) Miniature dachshunds. Oh, Jesus Christ. All of them? Most of them. Mm-hmm. What have they done for you? I mean, they cuddle me. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they're happy to see me when I get home. Mm-hmm. Just one. <laughs> they're, uh, they're just very nice little companions. They go with me to the park. My one miniature dachshund. Uh, they have a large fan base that can be found on Reddit and on other places as well. Mm-hmm. There's Celebrity Dachshund Crusoe. Mm-hmm. We might as well allude to the backstory, which is that my family had dachshunds, bred dachshunds, was deeply involved in dachshunds my whole childhood. And uh, after I reached the point where I would... Never see one again and be fine, because I was tired of them. Then the audio guy fell in love with them, and now one is his beloved. (laughs) And I'm a German Shepherd person. (laughs) We have a German Shepherd. I know. I wouldn't be here if we didn't. I'd be on my way to German Shepherd land. Wow. My Disaster Relief is a TV show, which you probably see coming, because I love it, and it is Kevin Can Fuck Himself. And it is on AMC Plus, and it's so freaking good. It's it's the uh, the main protagonist is Annie Murphy, who plays Alexis in Schitt's Creek, but she's very different than Alexis. And the whole conceit of the show is that she is married to a man child, similar to uh, you know King of Queens and that kind of bullshit. Everybody loves Raymond, and She's married to this schlubby man-child douchebag, and every time, every time they show a scene with him, it's like a sitcom setup. Like it looks very much like the All in the Family set in terms of the light and the arrangement and just the set. But then, as soon as she's alone, it's like a Breaking Bad 
shameless drama, prestige drama style. And it goes back and forth often, and it is good. I'm on the last episode, and now I'm avoiding it because I don't want to finish it. It's good. It is worth the subscription to a channel that you're never going to watch otherwise. And I wouldn't lie to you. That's my... That's mine. Wow. Wow. There that is. <laughs> yep. Well... Thanks for uh, pinch hitting on the last day of Melanie's maternity leave. Sure. She says that her baby is a squonk, which uh, eagle-eared listeners will recall is the little wrinkly cryptid that didn't win a single bracket that cries all the time. Doesn't it kill itself with its own tears? I think. I think. So Melanie has been calling her baby the squonk, and her husband got mixed up and called the baby the skank. (laughs) Bless him, he tried. And uh, Melanie was going to call in during this, but she says skanky squonks fell asleep and I gotta sleep when the baby sleeps. So, you will be hearing her tired breastfeeding and crying voice next week. Yay. Yay! Thanks for coming, audio guy. Hey, Horrible Ghouls. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you would like to share your personal MarkSafe moment, you can send it to us at MarkSafePodcast at gmail.com. Please give our podcast a rate, review, and subscribe, and tell your buddies about us, too. That goes a long way. If you want to further elevate your support, check out our MarkSafe Patreon page, where we have shoutouts, goodies, and some bonus content in the works. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks again, and as always, stay safe.